Welcome to Buy, Grow, Sell, the podcast for entrepreneurs looking to acquire, grow, or exit a business, hosted by Simon Bedard. Hey there, it's Simon Bedard here. If you're brand new to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast, then welcome. It's great to have you on this journey. Since its launch, I've interviewed many entrepreneurs that have bought, grown, or sold a business. And in some cases, they've completed all three steps and started all over again. Our goal is to share the stories of business owners that have traveled at least part of this cycle so that we can learn from their experience. Whether it's the dizzying heights of success or the hard lessons learned through adversity, we get to the heart of what drives success and how to apply these lessons on your journey. So join us for the best insights, interviews, and inside information on how to buy, grow, and sell a business straight from the entrepreneurs who've lived and breathed it. Imagine starting a food delivery business and knowing absolutely nothing about food. Well, my next guest is Cesar Quintero, who, let me tell you, was a lot more of a risk taker at 24 than I was. He left Venezuela for Miami, got married, and started a meal-based business called fit to go all in one year. And the year was 2004, so remember, it's not like there was an Uber Eats model he could piggyback off. So you can imagine, starting and growing fit to go was no easy task. And despite being a front runner on the platforms like Groupon and Facebook, it still took Caesar and his team eight years to reach $1 million in revenue. But like many business owners, Caesar really evolved along the way and ultimately unlocked the door for profitability. And the more he took himself out of the business, well, interestingly, the healthier it became, right up until the point where his own employees came knocking to buy him out. There's a lot to unpack in this episode. And I'm hungry to jump in. This is Caesar Quintero. Hey, Caesar, welcome to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast. Thanks, Simon. Thanks for having me. My pleasure indeed. Um, very, very keen to unpack your story and have a bit of a chat. So I know we were just having a little chat offline uh, before we started, but um, may- maybe just for the listeners, maybe you could kick off and just give us a little of your background and then ultimately what led to you know one of the businesses we're going to talk about. Sure. So. Uh... A little bit about me. I'm, I'm originally from Venezuela and South America, and um, I, uh, I graduated as a process engineer, went to Procter & Gamble for about three to four years in consumer research and marketing for Latin America. And then being from Venezuela, when the country started going down, that's when I, you know, I was 24 and I said, you know what, uh, I need a jump ship. So I, I decided at 24 to get married move to Miami and start a business all at the same time. Cause you know, that's, that's what we do when we're 24. <laughs> there's no, there's no risk at that age, I guess. And uh, I'm like, what, what is there to lose? Yeah. So I moved to Miami uh, and, and there was this gap in the market in the food industry. And, and I said, you know what? Um, I'm going to start a meal delivery company, which mind you, this is 2004. So this is pre Facebook, pre Uber Eats. Like this was like very, very new. Um, so we we had a commissary kitchen where we cooked all the meals and we delivered daily to people in their office. And I had to go door to door and convince people it was convenient to have your meals delivered kind of thing because it was such a new market. But then, you know, with, with time, it was healthy and delivery. So it was two big trends that were happening in the early 2000s. So um, we were first in market. So it was great for us. When we grew, we grew. Um, so we started growing and growing and, you know, and 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 all the pains that go with it. So. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and so what was the business called? Uh, fit to go. So it was uh, fit to go healthy meal delivery. Yeah. Yeah, cool. And and so okay, so I'm I'm going to wind back a little bit. So you're 24. You you're doing some of the biggest things that people do in their life all at once. So uh, so, <laughs> so so I mean, my hats off to you because you you know I think well. Anyone who can do that, I think that says something about your abilities for starters. So well done on that front. But um, when you started the business, I'm, I'm curious because I actually have a friend here in Australia who runs a company called Food Street and they actually get, you know, local people in your neighborhood. You know, you know how it is like, you know, it could be a Sunday afternoon or something and you've been out, you come home and you smell your neighbor's food and you go, oh man, I, I should drop over there for dinner, right? Um, yeah. Well, their concept is that we have, they have local cooks and, you know, they actually People cook their food and they get delivered, right? So it's you know home cooked meals by you know your neighbours and whoever, and uh, I love it. you know it's healthier and yeah. So I see a lot of similarities. So it, but but yeah, you started this in a very different time, man. Like very that's different. um, yeah. you know when when I when I arrived in Miami, Miami was a very healthy, trendy time, uh, uh, you know, kind of town at the time, but they didn't have many healthy alternatives, and I think. My, my process engineering background was more on the logistics, on the software. Let me develop the software. Let me develop these, these things. And I had no idea about the food industry, by the way. I, I was in a new country. I was an engineer for, in Procter & Gamble, for God's sake. And I, I'm like, oh, yeah, I know how to cook. And it took me a year and a half to get all the permitting done. Um, I could not sell a meal in a year and a half. Imagine starting a business and not being able to have any revenue. Um, so that, that was hard. And, and you know, a lot of a lot of rookie mistakes, but then little by little, I think that I had the benefit that the market was on my side. I was a first in market, and the market was growing at that point. And and just being in gave me that boost. Um, I did a ton of things wrong, hiring friends and family. You know, not knowing the industry, not knowing even how to buy. Right in the food industry here in the states, like food is thirty three percent of your cost. People are twenty percent. Like not even. Opening the door is already fifty-two percent of your costs are gone, right? So yeah. it's it's crazy, it's crazy, and um, so I had to learn a lot. I had to learn a lot fast. Yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, baptism by fire, right? So, so tell me, did, did you start the business on your own, or did you have business partners or anything like that? Yeah, so I had a business partner who was my mom, which was a, a great other mistake I did. And uh, not, not could she cook though? Right. That's <laughs> so yeah. she. The reality was this: the reality was that she knew food. She knew, you know. So she was in charge of the chef, and she was a CPA of finance. So she was a controller, and the so she had the quality and the finance, and I was the logistics and the operations. And I think that's what really worked in our partnership. Now she realized that she didn't want to work. And that became an issue about a year in, and I was like giving it my all. And at the end, I had to buy her out, um, <laughs> little by little. Uh, but she, 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 she decided it was not her type of business. She was very corporate all her life, um, and this was too entrepreneurial. So uh, she was not okay with the ups and lows and all these things. So at the end, I kind of bought her out um, really fast through me not earning enough and buying everything I made and buying her out on that. Um, but yeah, eventually, you know, the business after five years, it was fully mine. Um, and that's when it really kicked off growth as well, where the market was growing. Yeah. I've, I've got a question, you know, like those, the, the ups and downs you talk about. I mean, I, I think when you talk to a lot of business owners, as you do and I do, I mean, you, you, that's a common theme, right? And I'm, I'm just curious about, 
you know, the, the entrepreneur's ability to deal with uncertainty is, is often one of the key factors for them, you know, surviving and even achieving success. And I'm, I'm curious to know, like now with hindsight, was that something that you think you already had in you or was it something that was kind of developed because you went through that experience? I think, I think as entrepreneurs, we need to learn how to have all the hats. I think, I think when we start a business, it's, this is one of the things like my mom was not cut out for the entrepreneurial world because she came from a corporate headspace and things had to be done with her and all the team members were perfect and everybody was at this high level capacity and all these things. And when I started the business, it was mostly like, what do I need to do? You need to roll out your sleeves and try to get your hands dirty. And if I need to cook and if I need to come at 3 a.m. this morning, I need to cook. And if I need to deliver, I go to deliver. And if I pick up the phone, I pick up the phone. I think that's a startup entrepreneur is little by little, you're, you're starting to do these things and you're, you're testing the market fit and you're testing what, you, what you're good at and what you're not good at. Especially when at my age, I was 24, I had no idea what I was good at. People said, you know, I'll give you the perfect example. People said, as the owner of your business, you be on top of your finances. And my mom was really on top of that. But I'm like, I, let me, let me. So when I bought her out and she moved back to Venezuela, I'm like running my finances and I'm the worst cash manager you will ever meet. Like I was the worst finance person in my business. And, and I, I kept thinking, well, as the owner, I have to be on top of my finances. And that's not true. With, with time, I started realizing I need people that are smarter than me around me. I don't need to be doing everything myself. So I think that was a huge learning through the years of, yeah, at the beginning, yeah, you need to roll up your sleeve. You can't afford people. You're trying to figure it out. But once you hit market fit, you start really needing those people around you, right? And as a leader, we need to start being vulnerable and understanding what our strengths are, what our weaknesses are, and understanding what we need to start letting go. And just because I started a business doesn't mean I have a job in it, right? Sometimes. We think that we need to have a job in our business and I'm not the best person for this. Maybe somebody else is better positioned for this. So we start building that team, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's cool. It certainly takes a bit of emotional intelligence to say, hey, I might be the guy right now, but you know what? There are much people who can do this much better than I can. And, uh, and, and being willing to sort of hand it over and just get out of the way. My philosophy at the time is, I don't know anything about food. And I started a food business. So if I didn't know how to do it, anybody can do their. So I'm like, oh, you want to work in our kitchen? You don't need to learn how to, you don't need to know how to cook. You just come in and learn, you know, you're like, and that, that was like the wrong mentality at that time. It was like, no, we need people that know what they're doing. We can't train everybody to do everything. This makes no sense. Yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? I mean, that that and that is the element. I think most most people who are hungry and can apply themselves will be able to learn it. But how much time do you have to train them, and how much time do you have for them to get up to speed and become efficient? So, yeah. So, talk to me a little bit about about growth. I mean, I'm I'm curious, you know, about what that journey looked like. I mean, you couldn't just put Facebook ads out anymore. So, so what did you do to grow the business? There were no Facebook ads. Remember the time, man. This is <laughs> yeah. This, it was a good time. <laughs> you know, Groupon came out, and there were many, many online digital. We were, which we were the first Groupon in in Miami, and we were the first Facebook ads. Like we we were ahead of of most of those technology shifts. So that was good for us. That, you know, but we didn't shift enough to an e-commerce as we should have. We were more brick and mortar mentality, and it took us a while to get there. Um, but. The growth period, what I realized is the more we grew, the less time I had. Um, and I was, I'm telling you something, I was like eight, seven years in, I had 37 employees. 
I was picking up the phones. I was delivering meals. I was cooking the meals when the dessert person didn't come. I was like, I was doing everything. And I was running like a chicken without a head. Like I was like, chicken head cut off, a dead chicken for, fully. And the worst part is I got hit with a class action lawsuit, right? And here in America, you know, that's part of the standard. And, and, uh, and I, was, I was a fifth company targeted by a woman and an attorney. And uh, the woman told me, you know, I've bankrupted two companies already. And so I'm like, I'm not giving you a dime. So I'm going to fight this. And I took my ego and I wanted to prove that I did nothing wrong. Um, and to be honest, that was the best, and the best thing that ever happened to me. Because while I was going through that process, um, I remember it was, it was November 2012. And I had gone like eight months fighting it and going through all the process and the company plateaued and I was resentful and my health had declined. Like everything was terrible. And my, my business account was at $0 and my personal account was at $0. This was like a, like a moment where I said, eight years in business and I have nothing to show for this because of a simple caveat that has nothing to do with something I did, but it's something that's being thrown upon me and you know and I think that's where I had the huge realization of you know something needed to change and 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 that that year I, I like my attorney said like you either settle this now or we're gonna you know you go back to your country <laughs> and I'm like okay let's settle this she got five hundred dollars that was a good thing my attorney got like a hundred and something thousand her attorney got like a hundred thousand like it was, it was a big deal but that year I said you know I'm gonna change everything here and when, you t when I talked before about a leader and us knowing ourselves and really knowing what we can, what we're good at and what we're not, that's when I, I went through a purpose discovery, like a Simon Sinek why discovery kind of thing. Simon Sinek start with why book, yeah. And I realized most, most of my entrepreneurial life, I was focused on profit. I was focused on process. I was focused on product. I was not focused on my people. And my why is all about people, right? So my why was I want my people around me to to live the life they want to live, to live life by design. And, and I was not doing that. And, and the first eight years, I was all focused on proving that I could make this company and build this company and grow this company. And I was not focused on what I really cared about, which in my case was people. I, I'm all about it. I'm a twin. I'm a people person. Like I've always been an enabler and a helper, a, a savior, my psychologist would say. <laughs> but um, that's when everything shifted. That year, everything shifted because I said, you know what? I'm going to stop worrying about the things I don't and don't align with my life. And I'm going to start worrying about the things that matter. And that's when I, I started. I read a, a, a book called Traction, the Entrepreneurial Operating System. And we started implementing that in 2012. And little by little, my team started taking ownership. And I started having more time in my hand. And, and then I, I enabled them and I empowered them to make the decisions and grow the company. and. And little by little, I realized, wow, we paid the attorneys in one year. We quadrupled in profit. We doubled in size. And it was like, this was a key all along. My, what I was doing was the wrong formula. I was not aligning my energy towards what I love to do. And I was just trying to prove a point because, you know, I was a 20-something-year-old a, a trying to prove the world that I could make it in this world. And my ego got in the way of, of really allowing us to grow to the point we need to grow. The moral of the story, and I love the title of your podcast, by Grow Sell, but because I, I did grow, but eventually I sold to two of my employees. So 
This whole process allowed me to understand that this business was not aligned with what I wanted in life. I was growing resentment for this business. I was not, you know, it was not what I wanted to do. It wasn't aligned with my purpose. And that's when I said, you know what? My chef said, hey, dude, we did open management, uh, Jack Daly, Jack, um, Jack Stack, great game of business, the book. We followed that to the T. It was amazing. And, you know, that way all my employees knew our numbers. They knew everything they needed to do. And my chef said eventually, Caesar, you don't want to be in this business. You're rarely here. Let me buy 50% of this. And I'm like, what? I had no idea he came from money. His mom was a multimillionaire and his family, and he wanted to have his own business. I'm like, dude, I'm great with that. And eventually I sold half of my business to him. And, uh, and then two years later, I sold to my operations manager. She got a, an SBA buyout loan. It's something we have here where the government gives you a loan, a very low interest rate, and that she bought me out with that. Cool. And then, you know, then I was, I was free to do things that were more aligned with what I love to do. So, so I don't know. Moral of the story, I'm talking too much. I'm sorry, Simon. But moral of the story is I think until I didn't align my purpose to my business, it, it, it just didn't, didn't click. Yeah, yeah. Look, and, and, you know, I think on a lot of ways, you, you didn't wait till you were 50 to realize that, you know, that you're 60 years old. I've, I've, not, I've not been doing what I should have been doing, right? It's just a... So, so it is interesting, you know, you do, I want to take it back a sec because I'd love to get to the how you sold and some of the nitty gritty around that because sure. I think sure. it's going to be interesting for people. But you talked before about proving yourself how ego can kind of get in the way a little bit. And, and, and I relate to that. I mean, I think we were all, you know, young at one point and trying to make a mark. And, and, and it's quite understandable, I think, in a lot of ways too, because when you're, when you're older and you've done all this sort of stuff, you don't have to work so hard to prove yourself because you've done stuff. Even if, you've, even if you've had catastrophic failures, people recognize the value in the learning behind that. So you, yeah. you, you can kind of achieve things without having to try so, so hard. True. So, <laughs> so, I mean, if you were to wind back the clock or, or if you were to go back to your 25-year-old you know, self, you know, is there some advice you'd give to somebody who's young and starting out and you know, thinking about what they're going to do next? Well, I wrote a book about it, right? So, so I think, I think, the, I think the, the biggest message, and I think part of my ego was, I, I, my first company was such a part of my identity. Like I, I was not different than my company. Like me, myself, and my company were one. And what I would tell my 20-something-year-old would be, the first time is the hardest. Just get all the learning you need to right now. And then when you're ready, just go to the second and then the third and then the fourth. You know, so I think I think it's all it's a flywheel, what Jim Collins calls a flywheel. Right. So the first time it feels hard, it feels hard. You don't know shit. You don't know anything. Sorry. It's all right. <laughs> so you don't know anything and you're you're testing things and you're learning things and you don't know how to build a team. And, you know, so I don't know what age we get into business, but. Your first, your first one is going to suck and your first one is going to be hard and it's going to be harder and you're going to take, it's going to cost more. It's going to take longer. The reality is the second one and the third one, the first one was just a practice round. So I think that's what I would tell me at 20, at 20, 24 is saying, you know, this is your first go around. Don't worry about it. It's a learning experience. Just suffer, go through it, but then it'll get better because, you know, my second and third business, it took me. It took me eight years to get to a million dollars US in, 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 in my first business. 
took me one year to get to over a million in both my second and third businesses, right? So once you got the formula, once you know the system, the people, the team, the yourself, you know what you're good at, what you're not, it, it just becomes easier. Yeah, yeah, couldn't agree more. It's, uh, it's, some, it's some great advice. So, so let's fast forward again here. So, uh, so you started in, sorry, was it 2004? When 2004, did, yes. Yeah, so when did you sell the first half of the business? The first half was 2016. Okay. I sold the first half of the business. So it's 12 years. It's a fair time. Yep. You mentioned this. So this, this guy's come out of the blue almost from you and said, hey, listen, you know, I'm interested in buying. So what, what happened from there? How did it all kind of unfold? Yeah. So, so basically, um, we, we, we were a little giant. We were a lo- very hyper local market in Miami. Um, so we were at 3.2 million or something like that in Miami alone in one, one location. And we were, okay, it's time to expand. So let's go to Orlando. Let's go to Tampa. Let's go to different markets. And, and you know, I, I, got, I try to get a loan for that. And then we're food and risky. And, you know, I never got the loan. So I'm like, you know what? I'm willing to spend this much, $100,000 to try the expansion. And let's try it out. So there I went and it failed. So it failed really bad because I didn't want to put the time and energy into it. So I didn't want to move to Orlando. I didn't want to, I just sent a salesperson and we would, you know, do our thing. So I didn't, you know, you know what happens, especially because the business wasn't my purpose. So what happened was since we have open book management, my chef at the time was looking how much money we were spending on the expansion. And I wasn't there. I wasn't doing the energy I needed to do. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't being accountable for what I really needed to do as a leader. And they were going like, dude, you're, you're wasting this money and you're wasting the time. And then, you know, once we said, okay, we're at 99,000, <laughs> I'm like, I'm closing it down. This is not working. <laughs> and he's like, it's almost there. like, I want, like, this is ridiculous. You're, you don't have your energy, your time in this. And since everybody was all, all aware of, of where we were, what we were doing, what the vision for the company was, he said, you know what? I love the culture. I love the company. I love what this is. You don't even want to be here. Let me just buy you out. And you become, so what we did is we, we did a, he became the managing partner. So he was the operational partner. And then I could go out and do, uh, I was starting to speak. I was starting to teach. I was starting to facilitate. And I was teaching the, the purpose discoveries and the EOS implementation and all the things I had done in my business. I was teaching for others and I loved it. And then I'm like, you know what? I'll do more of my time here. And then he was on the operations side. So that's how the first uh, process of, of sale was. Um, and in reality, you know, so uh, you, we did a buy-sell agreement and we, we, we understood what we each were accountable for um, and, and going through the three C's, right? Contract, co- um, what was it? Contra- I forgot this. It was contract, uh, control, and uh, there's a C missing. It was contract control. Oh, and compensation. Compensation. Yes. Those are the three C's we had to negotiate separately. And we went through those three C's and kind of went through it. Yeah, yeah, nice. So did you get an advisor in to help with that sort of stuff? Was it an attorney or a, you know, somebody who kind of does this stuff? Yeah, we did evaluation. We had no idea how to evaluate the company. So we, we hired a, a company to come and val- you know, do evaluation. Um, we had an attorney uh, uh, who came in and, and kind of gave us the best practices. We we didn't have an operating agreement before then because I was sole ownership. So, so then we developed an operating agreement. We uh, we developed the um, yeah and and but but by 
Sorry to cut across you, but by, by operating agreement, do you mean a shareholders agreement? So was that something separate? It was, it was, we had both. We had a shareholders agreement, a partners agreement, and then a, an operating agreement as, because what we did differently that I, I don't know if this is common or not, but we, we separated control in different areas. He, he had full control around operational decisions. I had full control on, on vision, strategy, and financial decisions. So, so we, we very much really um, established a line of understanding clear accountabilities of who's accountable and who has the last say on these things. Now, there were certain things that we had caveats that we had to come to a consensus on. Sure. Um, or mediation. But, uh, but I think that was one of the smartest things we did because in reality, it got messy because he would call it the Caesar way, right? He was calling it, we've been doing this for 12 years, the Caesar way. Let's now do it the this way, right? So he had full control of that. Unless he didn't say, let's now do it the good way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. They came, they came back to the Caesar way. They, they realized that they, that they needed to come back to the Caesar way. <laughs> we, all need, we all need a Caesar, so that's fair enough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, cool. Okay, so you've, you've formed this agreement. How long did it take from, you know, just roughly, I guess, from him saying, hey, why don't I buy into having it all bedded down, you now in the new world? So the reality is that this was a rushed um, buy because I had lost so much money on the expansion and we wanted to keep expanding and we couldn't because we didn't have the cash. So when he proposed this, I was like, let's jump on this. So we, this was pretty fast. We, we went through like three months, no more than that. Yeah, cool. It was a cash deal, so it was easy. Yep. Um, the valuation came very fair. Um, and we both expected it to be around that. So we were like, we both knew what we were getting into. Um, the second one around was a little longer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and, I, and I'd love to come to that. Um, so in terms of the valuation, what was the methodology that the valuer gave you or used? Oof, I think there were like seven levers that they analyzed. Um, but was it a multiple of EBITDA or something in the end or? Oh, uh, yeah, it was a multiple EBITDA, but it was also the potential of the market and the size. Like there were there were several pieces there. I think at the end it was like, at the end since it was food and then the time we were at, I think it ended up being like three three times EBITDA or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that makes sense. Yeah. No, that's cool. So so you guys obviously came in. With a sense that, that, you know, when the number came in, you, it, was, it wasn't a surprise, is what you were saying, right? It wasn't. No, we, we, we very much expected that. And we hired this old expert and, you know, a lot of money. And then they came back with the same number. I'm like, oh, we should have saved this money. But you know what? It, it was good. It was good to, to have that third party opinion. To, to give you a sense of, yeah, this is what it's worth. You know? Well, it's independent, right? And I think no, nobody's going to down the track later say, oh, well, Caesar kind of gave me that number and, you know, he influenced that more than I did and now I regret it, yeah. you know, or vice versa, yeah. right? Um, yeah. So, so out of interest, so you said it was an all-cash deal, which makes sense when they're an employee and they know the business and all that sort of stuff. Did you did you take your cash off the table at that point, or did you reinvest some back in the business, or what kind of happened there? Yeah, so there was a commitment on on there was a percentage that had to be reinvested in the business, um, more towards loans and like we we paid off a lot of stuff, and then also for expansion, 
and then the rest was off the table. Yeah, yeah. So you got to take home a little bit and kind of at least a little little reward. <laughs> yeah, remember when I said zero and zero in my bank account 2012? That needed to change a little bit. So 2016 was a good year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <laughs> anything's better than zero, right? So <laughs> yes. <laughs> so okay, so you've done the deal. You're out there now. Three months, quick turn, which I think also is, makes sense. I can I can understand how you know you're not out there searching for buyers. You found each other. What was it like after that? So it's you know it's obviously a couple of years before you divested any more shares. Did it go as planned? Did it go as you, you thought it would? The first year it went magnificent. Um, the first year the company grew like thirty six percent after being a you know established company, um, and profitability was really sound. I was rarely in the company. I was there once a quarter for our strategy sessions and. Our stuff, so it was going dreamy. The second year, though, that's when they started dismantling a little bit of the Caesar way. Um, and since you know, and, and I wasn't present, and I kept seeing the metrics and the numbers shift, and I'm like, guys, you you need to watch out for this. You need to watch out for this. You need, and and they weren't as fast reacting to what we needed to. There was a big roll up happening as well at that time in our industry, where a lot of companies were rolling up and and. So we, we needed to either catch the wave or not. So that's when we started saying, you know what? We need to think about these things. Like, do we want to keep it independent? Do we want to be part of a roll-up? Do we want to, what, what do we want to do? Um, so there were a little ups and downs on the second year. And that's when we started thinking about um, either him buying me fully out, <laughs> which was really the first option. Uh, but then he said, you know what? I can't manage this company by myself. I need, I need my right-hand operations partner. So it was either him by me and then give her a person or me sell her a portion. So um, we had like three different options on the table on how this could manage. My, my two other businesses were growing like crazy. So I had no time to dedicate to Fit2Go anymore. So I was an absentee owner. I did not have my heart in the business. So the second time around, it wasn't so much around how much was in it for me, but what was good for the business. And the, the second time I sold was more around how do we sustain this business for growth? So I was, I was more than, I, it was more of an earnout on the second time where my operations manager um, got an SBA buy loan. We paid down some debts. We paid down some, you know, they paid me some, but then most of it was earnout. Yeah. Um, through the time. Okay. So the, the two strategies were very different. The first one was more around cash and really leveraging that the position we were at. And then the second one was more of an, uh, hey, I don't want to be here anymore. How do I get out and, and, and be out? So the second one was more about how do I get out of this the fastest I can? <laughs> so that the business, so that the business doesn't, doesn't feel hurt. Yeah. Right. So, so that the business can sustain and survive. Yeah, look, and I think sometimes with these things, it's, you know, like a Band-Aid, right? You're better off just to rip it off quickly. <laughs> no. and you know what? And I think talking about ego and identity, I think the first time I should have sold it all. And I think my ego got in the way of selling it all because I felt that if I sold it, I wouldn't be an entrepreneur anymore or I would be giving up my business and I didn't know what I wanted to do next. And, you know, and, and, and by selling it the first time, then I started two other companies that hit the ground running. And I'm like, wow, I like this so much more. And why am I doing that and wasting my time there? But, and, and that distracted me so much 
that that it, it, it was a disservice to the company for sure. Yeah, I hear you. Um, out of interest, the first time you sold, so you got your ops guy there, did, did you guys have any kind of discussion at the time about what a, an eventual exit might look like or what the end game was? What, what were you building for? Yeah, I think on the first sell, we, we, we were seeing the roll-up coming and we said, you know what, three to five years, let's grow it and sell. So that, that was really the, and, and then I was like, you grow it and you grow it and then we sell and I, I win for, so I think that was a mistake. The mistake was that, you know, I, I was, he was a very operational person and I'm more of the visionary, you know, strategic guy and I left. So the first year it was fine because they were kind of on the coattails of the strategy, but then they couldn't adapt as fast as with, with the market changing. I think that was a disservice that we did that I, I'm sorry, I said, I should assume responsibility that I did. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, look, yeah, that's all right. It's a, but it, but uh, it is interesting. I mean, I think it it speaks to the fact that there are different skill sets and positions and and people that you need in that team. And you know, I know Traction and EOS talk a lot about this. You know, who's the visionary? Who's the integrator? Who's who's the people that are going to get it done? But really, you need you need everybody in the boat, right? You need one you of need each. Them. If you, if you, if you have an integrator, and that's what happened to us, an integrator will will fact check. And reduce costs as much as you can, but they won't grow. They don't have that vision to to really go to where's the market going, where's the market trending, what's the future? How do we adapt fast so that we we gain that? And I think the business lost that when I when when I was on other projects. Yeah, no, look, I think that makes sense. So, okay, so second time around, um, talk to me about the process again. Timing. Did you get lawyers involved this time? Did you do another valuation? How, how did that all work? No, we did not do another valuation. Uh, this was more about a, what does it take to get Caesar out? That, <laughs> that was a valuation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it was like, hey, get me off these loans, get me off this, and I'll do this, and then earn me out this way. So the second one was less of a process and more of a, it was a, it was a convenience sale. I think it was more about What's in it? What's best for the company? What's best for the new partners? And what's best for me? And we really try to get a win-win-win where there wasn't a compromise or there wasn't a sacrifice. We really try to make it as win-win-win as we could. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Can, can you remember offhand, just even roughly, what the percentage splits might have been between any cash upfront, deferred but not at risk, and an earn-out component that's fully at risk and you know dependent on criteria being delivered? So the buyout loan, let me see. I would say it was like 50% went to the business, like for the sustainability of getting me off personal guarantees on certain loans. Gotcha. Which is technically cash, right? Because it's, it's... Which is technically... They're writing me off the yeah. loan, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then about 20% went to business operations as a reinvestment. So it was part of the deal, but it would, you know, um, we needed to reinvest in order to grow because some things were going down, um, which worked, by the way. That was good. A good pivot right before COVID. Yep. Yep. And then the rest was earn out and earn out within the next 10 years um, was like 30% of that. Wow. Okay. So 10 year earn out. That's a, that's a long period. Did you, I mean, clearly at this point, you're like, I don't care. I'm out. <laughs> is, that, is that, yeah, what happened? To be. To be honest, in my mind, that is money I will not recuperate. Um, so that earnout was 10 years or when they sell. Yes. 
so so the 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 purpose is to, is was still to sell. Now they pivoted very well and they're 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 doing great. Cool. Um, but the the purpose was to sell at that point. So I'm like, well, ten years are just when you sell. Just give me this. But again, I think when we when we go to sell, there's a purpose for sell. So I think the win is what what do we need from this sell? Do we need the cash? Do we need to get out? Do we need a do we need a like what is it that we need? And I think my other two businesses were doing well. And at that at that time, I was like. What, and that was a win for the business. Whatever the business needs, like the cash flow was tight, things were tight, and I'm like, guys, let's just do a long term earnout, and I'm good with that. I, I don't need I don't need that right now, or, or I don't see it in the in the in the in the short term. Um, so that was a way to for the business to win with a transaction as well. Yeah, but clearly you must have had confidence in those in those people to be able to keep the business going too, right? Otherwise, you're not gonna yeah, yeah. take that on. No, although in my mind. It's not money I'm going to earn. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hope they don't listen to this podcast. Then, yeah. <laughs> Technically, I still owe this money, by the way. So, yeah, 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 exactly. yeah. Legally. Yes, Lee. Yes, yes. <laughs> no, it's a monthly payment. It's a monthly payment. So they, they keep paying. Oh, okay. Well, that's uh, that's much better. I thought you actually had to wait 10 years. I'm like, wow, like, you know. Oh, no, 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 yeah. no. I don't have to wait 10 years. No, no. It's paid off in 10 years. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that's a little bit better. So as long as the checks keep arriving, right, you know everything's working. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and you said the business has gone on. And so is it, it's doing, is it doing well now? Has it grown for beyond where it was? What? Uh, it's pretty stable. COVID was hard on in food here in, in the States. Um, I think, I think one of the things that we needed to do, which was pivotal in strategy was becoming a black, a black kitchen, which we call, you know, like a dark kitchen where we have multiple restaurants from one commissary kitchen and the whole thing that, that shift, I didn't have energy to do that shift. So I, I wasn't going to do it. So that's what really triggered a lot of the of the change of ownership is I, I don't want to do this. Like if you want to do that, do it. So um, we they've they've been doing good. Yeah, they've been great. Oh, good stuff. Great. So talk to us a little bit, bit about what you're doing these days. What, what what were some of the new businesses that you started? Are you still running those, or have you moved on to something else? So yeah, so I started uh, two businesses. Um, they're both in the empowering people piece, right? So one of them is an entrepreneurship university in Latin America, all in Spanish. Um, Latin America is like Asia, you know, so if, if you don't come from a family that has a business or money, you can't really start a business. Like it's really hard for people to get started. So it's an online university. It's called Emprendedor University, which is all in Spanish. And it's all to teach entrepreneurs. No, I'm sorry, to teach professionals on how to start a business on the side, minimum viable product, and then be able to leave their job. So it's a very startup uh, piece. Um, and we have coaches around it and we have communities around it so so it's 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 built really it's it's built really well nice. i love it so so out of curiosity are you um are you familiar with kiva with kiva no okay so so there's a, a an entity called kiva k-i-v-a um okay you guys really should um have a chat to them about partnering so um something that we um i mean i'll share my little version of this it's not something we talk about really out there in the public sphere, but um, our business supports Kiva. We, whenever we sign a new client, we donate money to Kiva that is used for, for small micro loans to entrepreneurs. 
usually oh. in, in third world countries. And I, I generally will only lend into places that don't have the kind of wealth and infrastructure that we have in places like Australia and the US. Um, yeah. But so, you know, I think at the moment we've got about, um, I think we've got about 40 loans out there across 33 different countries. We and and to be honest, like we, you know, our business exit advisory group, like we're just we're very passionate about helping business owners. We don't market that we do this. It's not a. I love in it. In fact, this is the yeah. first kind of forum I've ever actually mentioned this in. But um, you know, we just like to do it. You know, and our clients, we when our clients, I love it. Yeah, buy from us. We send them a note and just say, hey, listen, we want to let you know you've actually helped these other people, and um, it's important to us. We don't we're not doing it for marketing juice, um, and we just you know like to let people know that they've contributed. So. I love it. It's so aligned with my purpose that that I'm loving it. Yeah, yeah. So it's a cool organization. Yeah, great platform. Kiva.org. Yeah, I just found it. Yeah, that's it. So uh, and anyone listening, like it's a it's a really really cool platform and a cool business. That's um, well, it's not a business. It's a, fundamentally a charity, but it's um, yeah. Look, great purpose. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So that's business number one, um, and then business number two is a um, the profit recipe. So it's a, it's a firm. So we have six. Six implementers. So it's all about implementing EOS and why discovery and leadership training. So everything I went through in my first uh, 16 years in entrepreneurship, now we do for others. So we're based in Miami. We're six uh, implementers here. And uh, we have a firm that helps entrepreneurs evolve so that they can, you know, they can go through that process. It, it's a funny thing. And, and I'm interested in your thoughts around this. Like, Nat, you... Once you've done EOS, you've done all this sort of stuff, like after what becomes quite second nature to you. And, and I, I presume, you know, I'm actually still sort of surprised when I go out there and people have never heard of it or other operating systems that are out there, right? I sort of feel like it's so ubiquitous because it's everywhere in my world. So <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you find is that uh, these, even these sort of put aside EOS as a brand for a moment, but this type of thinking, is it, well, do you, yeah, how do you find that? I mean, are you finding people are still kind of, way behind the eight ball. And so I'm writing a book. It's being published in January. Um, and, and that's what the book is all about. It, I call it, it's a profit recipe, is how to unlock your flywheel for the entrepreneurial to live a life by design. So, so how do you unlock this entrepreneurial flywheel? And I talk about five stages. And you, know, you don't go in order, but these are the five stages that you go through the flywheel. Number one is startup, right? It's, it's getting startup. It's, it's market fit. It's profitability. It's scaling. It's it's getting that piece. Then we go into leader by design, which is how do I become a better leader? What are my strengths? What are my, what are my weaknesses? What do I need to learn about myself? Then we go to team where we build the right team for, the, for me and, and you know, the business, whatever. But then we go to business by design. And business by design is, is stage four, which is all about operating systems. Because the reality is that if you're growing the business, the business can't depend about just the founder and the owner. You need to decentralize yourself. So you have to pick one. I'm, you know, I love EOS because of its simplicity, but there's scaling up. There's great game of business. There's map. There's OKRs. There's so many uh, operational systems, but a business cannot grow without an operating system because we need the owner to decentralize themselves. And then once you do, then we, I move it to the fifth stage, which is life by design, which is now I can start other companies that are more aligned with my life because now I, I went through that first time and I can, I can go there and then you start up again. And that's why it's a flywheel. You know, so you start up, you build the teams, you build the, the leadership component, you build the, the business component, and then you keep going on the life. So that's why I call it the, 
the entrepreneurial flywheel. No, that's that's very cool. And I totally agree with you about the, the system. I mean, it's, you know, it doesn't matter which one you pick, but pick something and apply it and apply it consistently and you'll see the results. Consistently. Yeah. Yeah. It's um one of one of my friends and advisors to my my businesses, um, you know, he's got a great little expression that um, you know, if the owner wants a better business, well the business probably needs a better owner. And so you've got to keep <laughs> yeah. keep working on yourself, right? Like it's uh, you know, that leadership by design is actually a really, really interesting part of it, right? And learning how to be a better leader or sometimes even learning how to step back and let other people start leading. Yeah. And you know what? I I, I figured that a lot of the a lot of the models that I followed are either are either self-awareness models, like personal or business. There wasn't something that combine both and entrepreneurship is really about self-awareness ego plus systems teams and stuff so like you can't detach one from the other so that's why like i, I made this model because it's it just doesn't make sense we need we need to incorporate both things you know yeah no that's cool well, I, I certainly look forward to the book coming out and I'll, I'll i'll be sure to grab a copy and have a read it um it sounds really great um you know and i think for those people listening at the moment who sort of wonder where to start with some of this it's um you know, for what it's worth, I'm happy to share what we do as well. But it's it, you know, whenever we bring somebody into our firm, we we talk about leadership across the organisation. Now, they might not be um, managing anybody, but leadership starts with yourself, right? You've got to be a good leader of you before you can be a good leader of others and then be a leader 100%. of groups and divisions and whatever. So it's, you know, hey, it all starts here. And you know, you mentioned Simon Sinek, which I think he's, you know, fabulous. That whole, if you haven't seen his YouTube video on why, I mean, talk about, uh, you know, 11 or so or 18 minutes that'll change your life, right? <laughs> so get get to the why of everything. It's, um, no, that's it's cool. Caesar, I reckon I could talk to you all day, but uh, you know, that's, <laughs> um, mate, I, I'd like to maybe ask you if there's one tip or one piece of advice, uh, maybe that you want to leave with the audience. But before we do that, are you happy for people to reach out and contact you and connect? Yeah, sure, of course. Yeah, so our website is theprofitrecipe.com. Um, that's profit as a as a profit as in money, not <laughs> yeah. as in. Not, not as a preacher, yes. but theprofitrecipe.com. And, uh, and yeah, my LinkedIn is Cesar Quintero. So I'm, I'm here in Miami. Yeah. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, look, we'll, we'll put some links in the show notes. Um, and, and you know, I constantly say on this show, if you do reach out to Caesar on LinkedIn, please put a little note there. Um, maybe let him know that you heard him on the podcast. So it's not this random weird, you know, connection. Cesar, I really appreciate it. This has been great. I, I, I think, you know, your story is something that a lot of people will be able to resonate with. And, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of great tips and lessons in there. Uh, is there one piece of parting advice or a tip or anything like that that, um, that you'd like to leave people with? I would say what I tell everyone is know your why, know your purpose. And once you know it, align every decision, business, team, where you spend your time, everything around. What makes your energy great? Because I truly believe entrepreneurship changes the world, but that only happens if your time and energy is spent where you're great at and what you love to do. If not, it's not even worth it. Yeah. Fabulous advice. Caesar. thank you so much for sharing and thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Simon. Great being here. The ultimate freedom is to own a company that is valuable, scalable, and saleable. Find out how you score on the eight factors that drive company value 
by completing the Value Builder questionnaire. Upon completion, we will send through your business scorecard so you can see how to maximize the value of your company. Just go to exitadvisory.com.au forward slash scorecard. The Buy, Grow, Sell podcast is brought to you by Exit Advisory Group, a boutique M&A firm that helps business owners maximize company value and exit at the top of their game. To learn more about Exit Advisory Group, you can go to exitadvisory.com.au. And if you like what you've just heard, you can subscribe at buygrowsell.com to get a new episode delivered to your inbox each week. Thank you for listening to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast with Simon Bedard. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit buygrowsell.com forward slash episodes. Simon is the founder and CEO of Exit Advisory Group, and you can follow him on LinkedIn.